0: Hey everyone, just wanna encourage you to find us on your listening platform and give us a rating. Anywhere you listen to that has a rating system, go on over and give us a rating and maybe leave us a review. Let us know your thoughts. These ratings really do help. Thank you so much for listening. On to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Remakes, Reboots and Revivals. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And we have a special one for you today. If you've been listening to the last couple of episodes, you've heard us talk about the fact that we were invited to the Hoboken Historical Museum right over here in Hoboken, New Jersey, to curate and moderate a pair of queer documentary films for the Thomas Edison Film Festival. And it was last week and it went great.
1: Yes, we had a very lively discussion. We talked about the films. We got the audience input on their films and more importantly, our opinions. Yes, most uh, importantly. Yeah, I think it was a pretty insightful, lively conversation that we all had.
0: Yes, and the fun thing is that we actually recorded it for you guys so you guys can be able to be part of the event that you probably weren't at by listening to this episode. Uh, So the way that this works is that if you're on a podcasting platform, go to the show notes or the episode description. You'll be able to find a link to the Thomas Edison Film Festival. And there you can actually watch the films. And we recommend that you watch the films first. And then you go back and listen to our discussion on them.
1: Yes. And they're two wonderful films. I highly recommend you checking them out. Uh, they are each about 25 minutes each, right? Yeah, just about that. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there are two very, very well done films. Pieces of documentary ones. The first one's a little more serious. It's also foreign. It's from Taiwan. Yes, Taiwan, Taiwan. And it centers around a drag queen, which was, she is utterly fabulous. And the second one is about a hairstylist based out of Southern California. Yeah. Two
0: completely different ones, but there is a unifying theme. And these are things that you'll hear us touch upon in the discussion and yeah it's it was a lot of fun and we want you guys to be a part of it and we never really get to talk about non-mainstream or (laughs) non-hollywood products so this was definitely something that was just like a a pleasurable experience for us you know this is you know we went to school and we watched so many of these short films and we even made a couple of these films ourselves so kind of getting Mm -hmm. back into that groove was really nice for us uh and fun fact i host trivia nights sometimes in my area and a couple of days after this event, I hosted it. And someone who attended came up to me and was like, hey, I attended your event and you did so, so great. And everything you guys said has kind of like stayed with me. And I've been kicking around in my head, which was just an unexpected treat.
1: So that's great. And hopefully he's I assume he <laughs> uh, was yes. yeah. a listener now. Okay. Yes, hopefully they are.
0: <laughs> hopefully they are. And speaking of trivia nights. Uh, It is confirmed that if you are, again, are in the Jersey City primarily, but the New York, New Jersey area, mid-August, we'll get to you the date later, we're going to be hosting a queer media pop culture trivia night in person at a really, really cool bar, well, distillery technically, called Corgi. More info. Stay tuned on that, but super excited for that.
1: Yeah, and if you want to stay up to date, obviously follow us on social media because that is where we will drop most if not all of our updates so yes if you're not following us y'all missing out seriously uh Rolando, you got any news before we go into today's special episode i do i do not have any news at the moment nothing comes to mind i'm sure i read something but it just probably just it wasn't important yeah I know that as of recording we're recording on june 22nd this intro that just like that has begun so the countdown has begun for Kim Cattrall's return on And Just Like That.
0: I know that people are, like, super upset that that leaked because they're like, everyone's going to be super disappointed. She's literally going to say, like, two lines.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be, the camera's going to pan from her, like, high heel shoes up, and then she's going to say something catty, and that's it. The uh, the season ends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just like you called it. Guys, you got to go back to the Sex and the City episode that we did, like, a year or two ago. Rolando called it.
1: It's so good. Yeah. She, yeah I th- it's unfortunate that she held out for an entire season. She probably didn't think the show would last. I know. Seasons, I so. know.
0: Yeah. They, I hope they improve upon season one uh, faultings. So,
1: and I, yeah, it's, you know, but the thing is people are still going to watch. You oh, know? 100% they're still going to watch. They're going to hate watch, but they'll still watch <laughs> it because they love these characters so, so much. Yes. Yes. And I unfortunately am not in that boat, but. I may, I may watch the season finale just to see Kim Cattrall. Because that's
0: her. when we know she's coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the other fun thing about that is that apparently one of her stipulations was that she did not want to be, at all, with any of the other actresses. Like she did not want to be filming at the same time as they, were. Wow. So it's gonna be an isolated shot of just her that we're gonna be getting. And they're gonna fake it. That maybe is maybe like a stand-in. Yeah, like a stand-in. SJP. You know, wow
0: Now like, I really yeah, that is something I do want to see. The drama behind Seriously. It.
1: I see, they should, HBO should be investing a documentary behind the scenes of making this cameo happen. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: next week we will be getting back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, we haven't really decided what we'll be doing because I know in two weeks is Indiana Jones, but next week you know we're, we'll still figure that out but we will be back to our regular scheduled programming then right yeah yeah that makes sense <laughs> as i say incredibly confidently mm-hmm. um, but yeah guys watch the films trust me they're really really good engaging films and listen to our discussion and next time we have an event and you're in the area definitely come through we're super nice and cool to meet in person
1: i mean sure
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right well guys thanks so much happy pride Happy Happy Pride Pride Month and uh, yeah, let's kick this off and listen in on our conversation at the Hoboken Historical Museum with the Thomas Edison Film Festival. Listen now.
2: Welcome, everyone, to the Hoboken Historical Museum. We are doing a very special program in honor of Pride. It is June, 2023, um, the most wonderful month of the year, Pride Month. I am delighted to be here to introduce Rolando Nieves and Nicole Palmetti, who I have to tell you a secret about them. They were my graduate students at New Jersey City University. But it goes way beyond them just being students of mine. They are two amazing people who just never quit. They're filmmakers, they're editors, they're activists. They're just totally amazing. And if they weren't amazing enough, what are they doing now? They are hosting the coolest podcast called Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. Now, I know that they like to say that the new and cool thing about their podcast is that they are both queer and that they are latinx well which i love and i embrace but that's not the only thing that makes their podcast great i think that they are both so brilliant and they're both amazing cinephiles and they both really have the pulse of the country the universe and all things filmic so um if you haven't listened yet to Remakes, reboots, and revivals. What are you waiting for? So, we're doing this special program tonight in honor of Pride, and it is my great delight to introduce Nicole and Rolando.
0: Jane, uh, thank you guys so much for coming. We're going to sit down, you know, like we're like, yeah, like, uh, like we're professors this, this or something. Is our- <laughs> it's our
1: first official live show, so it we is, wanted to feel yeah. special, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and also, we have a recording set up here, so it's a little bit more convenient. But yes, thank you guys so much for coming. Jane, thank you for that warm welcome. Uh, we've been doing this since 2018. Mm-hmm. And like you guys can probably tell from our title, Remakes, Reboots, Revivals, we typically talk about... Hollywood mainstream films, right? But we do want to look at them from our own unique queer Latinx perspective, uh, because recently films have been changing. More films are being made for a broader audience. And things, we're trying to deconstruct, you know, how certain narratives are getting changed and whatnot. We don't really get the opportunity to talk about, at least in public forums, things that are not mainstream Hollywood. So this is just like a really, really unique uh, experience for us. This is gonna be a very special episode for us, so we're super excited about that. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, look, to piggyback off of what Nicole's saying, it's just like this is a nice palate cleanser for us because I'm getting tired, a little tired, of some of like, you know, Disney remakes. Uh, Some are better than others. If you Mm -hmm. listen to some of our recent episodes, you'll know which ones we like and which ones we (laughs) we detest. Uh, but, yeah, no, we're so happy to have you guys here, and, uh, you know, while you guys are here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, uh, Do the thing. Do there, the thing. there is a QR code on the papers that you guys have at your seats, and, uh, while you're at it, keep us in mind, in August, part of Jersey City Pride, we will be hosting a media, like a TV and, uh, movie, TV and movie, and pop culture, and pop culture like yeah. queer trivia for at Corgi, part of Jersey City Pride celebration. So yeah, keep so us in mind. Check it out. Thank, Thank you. You uh, know, we're just trying to get our podcast out there, so more people start following us and listening to us and yes, stuff. So yes. uh, and you are
0: being recorded. So yes. if you want to listen back to this episode or share it with some of your friends, it will be up and probably by next Friday, and with the link to watch the films that you are about to watch right now. So if you do want even want to rewatch these lovely films that we'll be watching if you follow us you'll have that link really easily at your disposal
1: and more importantly you share with your friends so that way they can watch the films and maybe listen to an episode and see the discussion that we all have yes
0: and speaking of discussions stick around for a little bit after the film because we're going to bring up some talking points and you know generate a discussion about the films that we have watched. So yeah, oh, yeah. Jane, thank you so much for having us. Mm-hmm. Bob, thank you so much. We love always coming here to the Hoboken Historical
1: Museum. Let's give it up to Jane for putting together, <laughs> curating these two wonderful films. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I had the honor of watching these films earlier this week That's and uh, you know, coming up with the talking points as we usually do for the podcast. So usually in the podcast, I watch them like sometimes the night before. So like here, I had a little bit more time to to let it percolate, and I had a, a chance now to do a second viewing. So I think these both these films hit a little different upon the second viewing. But uh, I don't know Nicole, what do you want? Anything you want to say to kick things off? Well, kind of. I mean, these films work beautifully together,
0: but they are two incredibly different films. So I was kind of wondering, did anyone have like a preference as to which film hit them a little bit more? And just like this is such an intimate setting too, so feel free mm-hmm. to just you know share any thoughts. Like I don't know, they both had such different tones. Mm-hmm. They both kind of had different mindsets as well. You know, did anyone feel one of them spoke to I, the I other? I felt
3: the second. I felt the second one was more culturally something I could relate to. Mm, okay. You know, the American uh, was a big part of it, and uh, you know. Uh, I, I just felt more at home with the
1: second one and I can't yeah. explain more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm so glad that both these films are documentaries because I think both are two different types of documentaries that uh, I feel a certain way about. So the first one, Leo and Nymphia, I guess my question for you guys is like, how do you guys feel about d- documentaries where the director self-inserts himself? Like, do you mm-hmm. guys have any feelings towards that? Because I do. The second one. No, that's the first one. The first okay. one. So the first one, the director is the one who goes into drag at the very end and uh, has the interaction with his mother. That's the, that's the film director.
3: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So that is Pan. He's uh, he's the film director. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the narrative that's weaving out is that like he himself skews more conservative based off of his upbringing. And he has this cultural belief that... Uh, w- his people's role in society is to contribute towards it yeah and that's a little bit diametrically opposed to leo and nymphia when asked the questions like well how do you contribute to society she's like i don't care she doesn't mm-hmm. and that is complete opposition to the director's worldview but if she challenges him basically to try to break out of those like conservative shackles and the moment he does though you see he gets mocked by his mother You see the stairs he gets from, like, the people in the building. And uh, I think, to me, that's probably one of the most... Like, I'm not a fan of movies where the director self-inserts. I'm usually not. Like, I'm not... I don't like Michael Moore's work. I don't like uh, Morgan Spurlock. But I think this one, it did have an effect on me. Mostly because, uh, to your point where you said the second one, is more culturally relevant since it's a Western film and it takes place here in America. I think the truths that come out in the first film are universal i do happen to believe that the reason conservatives are fighting so hard to silence queer people like us is because they're afraid of what they wish themselves to be and uh i think that's the whole you know that whole stigma about uh crying that oh drag queens they're you know they're like uh groomers and pedophiles but like we see time and time again it's usually the people on the right who are (laughs) are doing these things not uh, not the drag queens and stuff. So uh, I, it's, yeah, it's why I ended up, I, I think the first film was just uh, fascinating for, for that read. That's my take on it and stuff. And I just went on a tangent. I apologize. I don't, Nicole.
4: <laughs> Actually,
2: um, I have something to say about Leo and Nymphia and the uh, young man, the filmmaker. Uh, when his mother um, sees him in drag and reacts so dramatically, and I think he's crushed. Mm-hmm. He's crushed. And to tell you the truth, that that is a moment in the film that breaks my heart mm-hmm. as a parent and now a grandparent also because I, I mean, I just cannot imagine treating one's child in that way. It, it totally broke my heart, Rolando, at yeah, that yeah. very moment.
0: I'm actually Taiwanese, so oh. that oh. interaction is very typical. Uh,
5: now it reminds me of you know my mother and how she and then, you know Asians grow up in a very negative fashion. You're always told like no no no, you know, behave a certain way. So this is like the typical Asian upbringing to me.
2: But Leo and Nymphia's mother. Look at how embracing she is, though.
5: Yeah. Right mocking each other the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's not a loving relationship It's like, uh, sort of like comedy, but a very tragic
1: comedy. Are you talking about, uh, you think it's tragic between Leo and his mother?
5: Well, it's kind of an abrasive uh, kind of humor So that they're using against each
1: other. That's a valid point that I actually, took more so in the second viewing of the film however i do want to point out that the times we do see nymphia interacting with uh, with the mother it's nymphia which made me wonder with this film it's just like because like this movie the first movie breaks the fourth wall several times uh one of my favorite times when it breaks that fourth wall is like in the b-roll setup when uh when he uh, when Nymphia is like going onto the street and she's commanding the camera, and you're also capturing her setting up the shots almost, right? That's breaking the fourth wall for documentary because everything prior to that moment, the b-roll there was just b-roll in the sense that like you're it's beautifully shot, and it's kind of just moving the story along. But that moment, we actually are seeing her take command and really embracing the character of Nymphia, which, as on the second watch, I was wondering, you' just like, oh, is this interaction that we see between Nymphia? And her mother, is that Nymphia, the character, or Mm -hmm. is it Leo? Because Leo had admitted that he's shy, And you do see the change in how he behaves when he's in and out of drag. So it was, yes, I do agree with you. It was an interesting uh, dynamic that the two had, but it was was a dynamic that we only saw when he was in drag. And I found that interesting. So I don't know, again, this is a documentary where it's just like... And, you know, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, obviously, right? You don't know what's kept out of the editing room. But uh, it made me wonder, like, what like, what was on, left on the, on the editing floor? Yeah. You yeah. know?
0: And there is a performative quality when mm-hmm. it comes to the art of drag in general. And I think that Leo Nymphia, in particular, this movie, it's, like, very fascinated but also somewhat scared by queer culture. Mm-hmm. It almost was, like, looking at it, you know, with... Protection in front of it, with like a glass wall in front of it. Because the way that the film begins is with a very interesting quote where, and I wrote it down, it was perhaps Leo is less confident. He's always doubting himself. And there's just kind of this disconnect that Leo feels from himself.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: And he even kind of feels d- disconnected from Nymphia. He refers to her mm-hmm. in the third person as well. And so it almost takes this commentary into thinking that there is something kind of detaching about being a queer person in this day and age? Because also with the filmmaker inserting himself and him coming to terms with what he might be, there is kind of like this, where do I belong quality that was present in the film, which is not very present in the second film.
1: Yeah, I mean- Which is a nice
0: balance, but still like, I don't know. Did anyone feel connected to that at all?
1: What
5: struck me about the film is there was nothing gay about Leo Nupia. We don't know. here in the United States, people sort of assume drag queens perform in gay bars and kind the of
6: mm-hmm.
5: gay community. There's no way to know whether he, I mean, he's gay. Maybe it's not, not relevant in terms of making the film interesting. But in terms of the American perspective and what our politicians think about drag queens, mm-hmm. uh, it's different. I'm assuming probably is gay. But there's no romantic, for both the director or the other, there's no romantic element.
1: Yeah, and true. true. And, and,
5: and he performed in a straight bar. Oh, it, like, it looked
1: like the audience was. Uh, true. Yeah. Which I think is. I mean, here in America, at least here in Jersey, like when you go to a drag brunch, you do see a lot of straight couples. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but to your point, I do agree. I uh, That's actually something that gets conflated a lot. Like, drag culture does not necessarily mean gay culture. It's not. You know, even RuPaul's Drag Race, for example, they had a straight drag queen, which was like groundbreaking for the show. Uh, like most recently, last season, and uh, that's that's how far we got in gay rights, right? Where like one straight drag queen is just like, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, that's big, that's a big deal. But uh, but no, I, I agree with you. It's uh, I think this is, I would say like uh, Leo and Nymphia is more like a queer
5: yeah, storytelling.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's and, a difference yeah. for sure. I would say. in the scene.
5: so you know was
0: like these innuendos, and they definitely seemed queer to me. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah.
1: So I mean, I think queer at least. The other point I wanted to bring up actually about Leo and Nymphia was to this question like uh, the first time I watched it, I did feel that the director may have been a little exploitative in his intentions of filming Leo and Nymphia because he was using it almost as an excuse to explore this side of him that he himself was too afraid to explore. I don't know. Does anyone, based off of just me saying that, does anyone agree, disagree, thoughts?
0: I would agree. It makes some
1: sense. (laughs) It makes sense. Yeah, I hadn't thought
3: of it, but it makes some sense.
1: Yeah? Yeah? Okay. I just wanted to add in there was a point
4: where Leo spoke about unleashing the beast Mm-hmm. And there was like a monologue. And what you just said really resonates, because I feel like that's what you're saying, is like this performance allows others to release themselves. And it's almost like super, like, um, like super ancient, right? Like an mm-hmm. old ritual where you're reenacting something with, with a person as like as a medium right
1: that's what i was thinking about actually and and what you just said really really resonated with me oh i'm glad uh yeah any other thoughts nicole like in terms of uh uh leo and nymphia no
0: i think actually you brought up the the one that i was going to get to (laughs) oh the (laughs) i'm (laughs) sorry it's okay
1: but uh (laughs) no but so why do you think though the like what I mean, what are your feelings? Like, why? What made you feel that it was exploitative? Like, was there a scene in particular that made you feel like, oh, this he might be, this might be a little exploitative?
0: It's it's all in the editing, really. You know, sometimes, especially when there were scenes of him in bondage and some of the sound bites that they would put, especially where he's like, I don't want to contribute to society, and cut to him doing something that, in the filmmaker's point of view, is kind of a fuck you to society. I felt very present in the filmmaker's perception. Of this man and he almost went out of his way to present it as there's this disconnect between who he is and who he pretends to be that maybe reflected his own disconnect of who he was but because of that I was like well do not I felt like he projected a lot onto Leo and Nymphia mm-hmm. like I got almost too much of what he thought personally
1: so that's interesting because I actually thought the shots of like every time that we brought in like kind of high artistry Mm. Was almost the opposite. Like he's asking, "What do you contribute to society?" It's art. I think that's what yes. what Nymphia's con- contribution to society is. It's this art form that she is doing because, like, some of the I mean, the makeup and the looks that she was putting out are they were great. Yeah. I, you know, stuff that I haven't seen, for example, on current seasons of Drag Race. <laughs> you no, know, yeah. it's a little she lacking was. at the moment. I
0: mean, I connected with her. Definitely, uh-huh. but I still felt the filmmaker's presence mm-hmm. and at least his opinion of her. But as a character, I was able to sympathize more with her and not take so much of the the forced opinion mm-hmm. from the filmmaker. Although I did really enjoy the film and it was interesting, I do I do felt like it was a little bit more exploitive than respectable. And he did make it a little bit too much about himself at the end.
2: There was one other thing that we didn't talk about about the, the uh, mother, um, Leo's mother. Um, she was so alive and so proud of him as a child and so sensitive to that, that I think that her relationship with Leo and Nymphaea is is dense. Mm-hmm. It's not just one note, right? And I think that, um, you know, as a child growing up and her love for him and how she, you know, letting him go to, taking him to go to a school that was completely different, I think, than other Taiwanese schools. I think that's, you know, kind of a, although, again, I'm not Taiwanese, and I don't know what the school situation was. I could only deduce that it was, you know, sort of a a more unusual, not the normal, you know, like what most kids would, you know, the kind of school that most kids would go to. And that, that's great. Mm-hmm, yeah. The other thing that we didn't talk about, um, actually, in this film, is that we never meet um, a male parent, do we? Yeah. I wonder why.
1: That's something also that stuck out on second viewing. I don't know if it's... Because even in the family picture that they show, it was uh, Leo and his mother. So I don't know if the father was just not present in the thing, yeah. or if he's not present because he just want to be associated with the son. You know, that's kinda of left up to the viewers' imagination a little, right? Like that's just Yeah. You know, ultimately I guess like you have to fill in that blank. Uh and even in the second film,
0: he was raised by a single parent. Yeah. The only time we see fathers are when we see these two male fathers. Yeah. These gay parents. I mean, that's so that's kind segue. of like, yeah, a great segue into the second <laughs> film. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: only moms to two dads. To two yes,
0: dads. to two dads. Yes. Uh, I mean, such a contrast, but such a delight. And, and a good double feature. You should have, like, your serious film in the uh, as the first one, and then you should have something lighthearted in the second. And, I mean, the joy that radio- radiates off of Jeff and what he does for everyone in his life, like, at the Halloween party, you know, <laughs> the contrast of them sort of being surrounded by blood and skulls, but they're like, oh, Jeff is just a light of joy. <laughs> it, was, it was adorable. But it's also just so important because there are these... People who have these ideas of you know what queer people would who they are and the impact that they would have on people's lives, especially children. And this is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And like more so than ever, we actually need more people like this in our lives or in our communities to kind of help bring us together. I mean, what did you guys think about in the second film? I outside the Outside
1: yeah, the Yeah, right? Yeah. You want to be a part of that yeah, community. We were just yeah. to you were so far away from home.
6: yeah it It was
1: uh i think it was yeah i think it was a fun film i think one of my favorite things about that film though is uh this like post pandemic Mm. and especially during peak pandemic when like media was trying to tackle with how do you do storytelling during the pandemic i think a lot of it ended up gearing towards like kind of the how solitary we felt and how the kind of mental anguish. That we kind of went into. One of my favorite examples of this is probably like this reality TV show. absolute trash TV. But it's called Bravo Summer House. And they had one season where like all these beautiful 20-somethings were stuck in a house in the Hamptons. But because of the pandemic restrictions, you were stuck inside the house. So the cameras were just rolling 24-7. And you just see the mental deterioration of these people (laughs) over a week, over 10 weeks. And it was kind of really that pure exploitation yeah uh, you know but uh that was a lot of i think that's what we saw in a lot of media kind of just like how how the pandemic was affecting us in the negative and this was quite the opposite this it is was. seeing we're seeing someone like persevere during the pandemic i think that's like kind of wonderful to watch especially mm-hmm. considering he's a queer man yeah uh a, you know a gay man and stuff and as members of the gay community you know we've had to persevere so much i mean you know i wasn't old enough for the AIDS epidemic but like Some of you guys might have been. And uh, you guys, again, the gay community had to figure that out for themselves. Uh, Most recently, the monkeypox epidemic, right? Like, Mm. you know, no shade to the uh, Biden administration, but, like, they just weren't moving fast enough. Uh, Mostly because our resources were so depleted because of uh, COVID. But, you know, it was gay men who had to, like, kind of band together and kind of make sure that people were getting vaccinated and, like, getting taken care of. So... Uh, I, there was something about just seeing queer resilience on screen that I think was wonderful.
0: Like, absolutely. Now, did you feel the second film was exploitive in any way?
1: (sighs) No, the only thing that might have been that could have maybe been exploited a little bit was this idea of... They really focus on the, on the fact that he's a, they're, they're two gay dads, but they have a black son. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. something that was like... You could see that maybe the director wanted to like go there, but they just didn't. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that I am kind of in the midst of figuring out. I'm married, and we're trying to figure out adoptions, and I don't have a hard no on having a black child, but if given the... You know, I'll take whatever we can get, but... I would prefer not to have a black child because i don't think i could relate the moment he has to go through that black experience i just do not think i would feel so helpless because that's just something i could not be there for like the latino experience is different our the racism that we face is very different from the black experience and it's just like i would just feel so helpless yeah in, in those moments and uh these are two white men who have to deal with the black son. And there's like, that scene <laughs> yeah. when they're asking, "Is like, oh, so we were you ever bullied? Is it for being black or being, having gay dads? All they could focus on is having the gay dads. Yeah. That's and I just thought found that else. so interesting. It's just like, yeah. yeah, so that means he's probably getting bullied because he's black, right? Like, yeah. that's the implication. I don't know. Did anyone notice that in the scene, in, sure. the, in the movie? Sure. Yeah. Any thoughts? I thought it was, um, I thought
3: it was believable. I mean, I thought it was in the context um, you know, his parents have made a, a place for themselves. It may not be a big place, it may not even be a mainstream place, but they made a place for themselves, clearly, in the community, and they're loved at least by a certain segment. But I'm not sure, knowing what I know about the, the demographics of, of California, that there would even be, in that part of California, Community, so it's kind of like maybe he he the son is like community, mm-hmm. Cash is like right. community, so so in a way that's an opportunity to define it, but but of course he's defining a lot of things by being the son of two gay guys. So yeah. we're yeah. we gonna take that. But I certainly noticed that sort of like peg, pregnant pause and yeah the answer. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you don't know if there is an answer or there wasn't an answer. I sort of think all kids get bullied sooner or later for something. So, um, I think it's part of growing up in America, mm-hmm. whether you're gay or Latino or black or, uh, you know, too feminine or too butch or whatever it is, I, I think sooner or later, you're gonna get something. And so I think the kids have and most are, thankfully, resilient. Mm-hmm. And then they have to find their own balance and, and deal with it. With some support from the parents, some support from teachers, of course. But you know, ultimately that that little group has to has to balance out because it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you're too short, if you're too tall, if you're skinny. Heavy, um, you gotta find balance. So, yeah. no, that I found a really sweet,
0: sweet film, a happy film, as you said. Yeah, yeah. really lighthearted, really nice. fun watch. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite scenes in the movie that just kind of like sparked something in me is when they're sitting down, the three of them, and Cash is talking about Michael, his other father, and he's like, he doesn't look gay. Right. <laughs> but then there's Jeff, and like he does like a little sing. <laughs> but it's interesting the idea of looking gay because I have always I'm one of those people that quote-unquote look gay. No. No. You don't say. (laughs) So, but that's the thing. Like, the validation that some gay people feel, you know, that they don't look gay enough, you know, or that they don't scream it. It's like becoming this thing that I realized that in this film, I'm like seeing it more and more, which is interesting. You know, like, do we also, do we have to look these things? Do we have to scream these things in order for us to feel connected to a community?
1: That's an interesting point because I do... I know if you go to gay Twitter, like that's constantly a discourse that's on there. Like, if are you? You don't look gay, yeah. You you don't look gay. You don't act gay enough, right? Yeah. And it's just like, well, who are you guys to dictate? Well, also, I mean, somebody
0: had mentioned that it's like, well, we actually don't even know if Leo is gay. Yeah, that's also true, right? He didn't really like look it or he didn't do anything to say it. So that kind of like I don't know. It's it's so interesting that it's becoming part of the discourse too, where it's just like, are you gay? Yeah. question that we get we get asked and like hey I mean I do it myself too all the time so it was it was definitely one of the, the unintentional things about the film that kind of sparked something in me
2: and hasn't isn't that true though um, hasn't that always been true in the black community mm. are you are black, you black enough? enough are you black enough yeah. yeah yeah And interestingly I just pre-screened a film for you know for our next season and that's the entire central premise Of the film. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Right, this other short film that that I just uh, pre screened. Yes, to the point
3: about um, cash being black and whether that's exploiting it or not, I thought that the documentary was documenting. Mm -hmm. I I, I
2: really think that that's the reality we live in and and, and that that's really
1: the life we live in, and, and, and it was just a very natural. Yeah. I took it as, as, as the fact that that's the environment, mm-hmm. and, and to the point of us, you know, are we gay enough or not, not too gay or whatever? I, I think that then we're not giving ourselves room for diversity, you know, yeah, yeah, diversity. That's, yeah and, and absolutely. Each other and, and just, I mean, we are who we are, and, and there's room for all of us. So. Watching it the second time, one of my questions I had is just like, damn, you know, they stumbled into something here by accident, I feel like, right? Because they started filming. Before, we knew there was going to be a pandemic. Yep. And then the story changes, obviously, as you're continuing to, to unfold. I think this was, it seemed like this film was intended to be really about the uh, the, the, the museum opening, it. right? Yeah. Uh, very I don't know if anyone here has seen Y Mucho Mucho Amor, Con Mucho Mucho Amor, the War Mercado documentary. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, right? So, that documentary has a similar structure in which he is preparing for a retrospective exhibit, and that's the catalyst of which we see his life story unfold. Uh, and this is very similar in that, in that sense. And I think it's like I think it's very strong conventional storytelling techniques. Uh, but again, what I think is what is fascinating here is just like they stumbled into some gold because you're witnessing a man trying to make sense of this world because you forget. Like watching this reminds me like how shitty. 2020 was like 2020 was a roller coaster ride and it feels like a lifetime ago but it was like three years three years ago and it feels like forever ago at this point uh and it's 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 wow and i think that's why i did like this portraiture of a man because that's just a portrait of a man you're also really witnessing like a moment in time that like i don't i hope we never have to go through again in our lifetime
0: No, for sure, yeah. And I also liked how the movie unintentionally had, like, this symbolism with his hair.
1: Yeah. And letting go
0: of all the weight of his hair and just moving on and growing up and all of that. Like, I was like, they didn't plan for that, but it worked perfectly. It worked.
1: And let me tell you, guys, like... A good haircut will take 10 years off your face. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, that is the lesson I learned here. But, yeah. The other thing... Oh, that reminds me, actually. The other, uh, I wanted to go... I'm just going to go back to Leo and Nymphia real quick about the mom. The mom should always listen to Nymphia. Nymphia was right. That purple jacket was beautiful. You know? That was, yeah. <laughs> That was a gorgeous purple jacket. Um, so... I loved watching these two films together because I think... Did you see a common through line, Nicole? Like, what would you say?
0: The impact that queer people have in our lives, Mm -hmm. you know, in the
1: first one on the filmmaker, in the
0: second one in the communities, Mm -hmm. and how kind of important they are, and how we need people to push against the grain. That's like the big thing that I think was relevant in both, but I feel like there's others that... Yeah. I might be missing.
1: Well, I mean, for me, I saw more so artistry. That was my... My, my through line that I saw in these yeah. two films like, yeah. and there's like this connection that there is between entertainment and queer like just queer yeah. culture like we not that we have a stronghold on it but we do have a we do we're have pretty a pretty strong we it. have a pretty good stronghold <laughs> on it uh, I saw someone who wants to
5: Yeah. Show. I think like in the 50s, we started doing all the civil rights stuff in America, mm-hmm. and it's been 80 years since gays were really coming to the forefront, whereas in Asia, it's still a very uh, taboo subject. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll see in 80 years, you know, what kind of movie comes out about drag in Asia. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And, and similar yeah and to that point though i mean this is where contemporary media plays a huge role right like i think something as ubiquitous as like rupaul's drag race has a big role like you may not you don't have to enjoy the show but you just have to respect like whatever cultural impact it does have in bringing drag culture to other parts of the world because like that's the i mean this show is spinning off to doing uh Uh, franchises all around the world where they're highlighting drag queens from these different countries and uh yeah it really it's making drag drag culture mainstream however counterpoint to that though is that like because of that you have conservatives now screaming no get this off of our tv get this off in front of uh off in front of our children which uh reminds me so i wanted to ask that like do you think nymphia's performance would be child-friendly
0: Depends on, uh, depends. It, I think she could. Yeah, no. She was a princess in one of her numbers.
1: Yes, that's yeah, that's what I'm say. Just yeah. like an actress can do a role that's X, like X-rated, course. she mm-hmm. can also do a role that's like a Disney film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because
0: <laughs> c- drag is diverse. Drag yeah. is performative, you know? You're not just the same thing all the time. And drag isn't highly sexualized at all all the time. And it can, uh, but it can be. It can be. It can be. be but it's and not. Usually all you put the time. those
1: restrictions yeah. uh, on, on the door before a child goes in. Like, usually, Absolutely. you know, let's be, most people know what's appropriate and what isn't, and they know what type of audience you're going to have. If you're going to have a drag brunch in the middle of the day <laughs> when there's probably going to be families, yeah. you tame down your act. It's just, it's called common courtesy that I think sometimes like the far right just thinks that we don't have it in our brains to do that, right? Like, I know, yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, that's one of the things, because I think we had a child here, right? Like how did, was, this, was some of the scenes here too scary for the kid?
4: Well, I mean, I, I'm a mother and uh, it's really important for me to raise well-rounded and inclusive kids. Who are empathetic and, right? <laughs> and to me, it was not at all scary. You know, what's scary for me is aggressive, cis, male, you know, predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. That's to me, is scary. You know, um, policies that marginalize people and take away rights are scary. You know, yeah. a, a man dressing in drag is not, in the least. Yep. Um, so it's just part of raising a decent child, I think. Um, and so not at all, I don't mind uh, her being here. I want her to be here. Um, I just wanted to add one more thing. The thing that struck me about both movies, is um, both uh, narrators expressed that they uh, experienced bullying as children mm-hmm. yep. um, in two totally different contexts. And um, and that really struck me as a mom. You know, and what can we do to protect our kids who are wrestling with their identity and coming out even in 2023? I think the assumption is that we've come so far, we're so much more progressive, um, you know, even in a place like New Jersey. But I think there's so much essential work that needs to be done around creating that sense of comfort and um, acceptance for our kids. And the thing that also struck me about both narrators is that they both felt they had to tap into this inner resilience. in order to become the people who they are today and to find that joy looking for that joy for them was an act of resistance Mm -hmm. and that to me you know i i don't identify as gay you know i'm a cis straight woman but to me that is such an inspiration um and something that i think can be a lesson for all people we're just starting to find our own
1: voices absolutely i mean (laughs) so well put (laughs) Hi, I'm, I hope you enjoyed the movies, too. Uh, no, I mean, yes. I mean, also, I mean, thank you for bringing your daughter and like, obviously, like exposing her to this kind of work, because I think that is important. Uh, I think it's I think a lot of times, you know, all these policies that are trying to really silence us, they all come from a place of fear yeah uh well, just like
0: that scene where he said he was bullied because he was sitting there with like his Barbie doll house and that people would bring it up well into high school mm-hmm. you know and but he was happy he was yeah. just yeah. sitting there living his like happily, but it's more the fear that is brought up in them and their own insecurities that they just want to project back at other people, mm-hmm. and now we're just seeing it unfortunately on a grander scale for all of us yeah. so
1: I mean I think <laughs> uh some of the conservative women that just angry how good drag queens look in dress sometimes <laughs> like, yeah. i mean they, they look i mean great, nymphia, yeah. those seeds of just nymphia walking around in those like gorgeous yeah, outfits it's just like oh why can't more american women just dress like this on a regular basis <laughs> <laughs> and men too you know like why not whoever wants to dress like whoever wants to dress like something yeah. like that should at all yeah. times yeah. uh but no and and more so to that point i think that's part of the reason why we also wanted to be here today just because i think it's important to have these types of discussions about queer culture especially now because like i think we here in new jersey can be easily feel very complacent you know we're in a liberal state but it could slip away at any moment right so yeah. like you gotta constantly be reminding people to go out and vote uh there are communities out here in new jersey uh <laughs> i think in southern jersey and central jersey that are trying to do book bands and stuff similar to the ones happening in florida uh, and I think all we could do is just keep advocating things like, no, not here, not in our home. Uh, you know, let's keep this as a, a safe place for queer people and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, if you Thank can people. donate to your local queer organizations, I think the one for Hudson County is Hudson County Pride. So yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a big one. Check them out on Instagram. Uh, we're actually like, oh, we mentioned earlier, we're going to be hosting an event with them in August, part of, uh, uh, Jersey City, Jersey City Pride. City Pride, Pride. Yeah. Uh, so please, by all means, yeah. You're there's all a welcome bunch of come. pride
0: events. Yeah, we have somebody from Hoboken Pride too yeah, today. So, yes, we have so yeah. many. Resources,
1: so, uh... Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, any anything else? Anyone um, else okay. got anything Anybody? to say? I'm by all means. I was going to say I
6: was a real fan of that second film. Mm-hmm. When Jeff is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, it's almost like he'd be a great representative. Almost, mm. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're if you're trying to reach out to a straight audience who are homophobic, I mean, he kind of crosses lines. Not that you're, you know, that's an obligation to do something like that, but he's so, uh, you know, his spirit is so strong. His resiliency, is, yeah. you know, and, and I have not seen a better portrait documentary in ages, and that, Um, a film that encompasses uh, COVID, I haven't really seen that many that weren't, uh, well, I just haven't seen that many. So it it wasn't just about that, it was just sort of his, how he always is trying to make it work. And, uh, And he's doing it in the desert, if anyone's ever been to Joshua Tree. It's dark. I mean, it's about the people, but the land is not the friendliest. Wow. Uh, Especially if you're from an urban, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, lifestyle. And uh, he just made a great life. And I think people would almost be jealous of what he's created. And uh, I didn't really think about, shall we say, the adoption thing. um, Because I was just so won over by
5: Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And I
6: just didn't want to. It apart almost, you know. But I I thought about it after you said it, but it didn't really even enter into my scheme. I just thought creating this museum, I love museums, but (laughs) (laughs) creating this museum on the top that he loves and making that work uh, and sort of reinventing himself again. So a beautiful film. And uh, I'll highly recommend
1: it. Yeah. I forgot yes. to yeah, I forgot to talk about his sculptures. I think they were so beautiful. Yes. I they think they're so he's so creative and uh, yeah, I, I again just seeing the artistry between the drag and like his curation and actual sculpture work and you know, he's a musician and stuff. Like he yeah. this guy is such a I'm jealous. of well everything well, he's well, that way. Well, his, yeah. like yeah. Yeah. you know, he's a great role model. Absolutely. Yeah, he is.
2: Yes. And not for nothing, and talk about a role model, so is the filmmaker Cherry Galky and Cheryl Bookout. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a shout out to both of them, but, and Cherry in particular, who was this year's um, winner of the Edison Innovation Award
1: for the Film Festival. Yay! Yeah. Her body was right. Cherry. So you
2: can um, also see her work on the uh, Thomas Edison Film Festival website. And Sherry, right now, is working on a rather amazing, full-length feature doc about feminism in art. And um, it's it's going to be phenomenal, really phenomenal. And her um, partner uh, in film, Cheryl Bookout is equally an amazing human being. She is who who came up with the idea for working with Jeff because she too lives in Joshua Tree. So it's kind of a, a wonderful confluence, and uh, I thought it would it's important for us to recognize the filmmakers. Absolutely,
1: Absolutely yeah, totally, yeah. Uh, and that's what you the reason i do love coming to the Thomas Edison film festival is like occasionally you will get you'll meet the filmmakers the yeah. filmmakers here yeah. too who talk about their films and you can and it's only them, right? short
0: films too you know so yeah, yeah. you get to actually like see the people and, and talk to them and see like what cuz we make short films mm-hmm. on the side when we do stuff and that's just like an art form that doesn't get enough like light shown on it everybody's Thanks. always talking about features we have a podcast about that but still like it's this beautiful art form that just doesn't get highlighted enough so you're, Thomas Edison is just like the best for doing that. So, and thank you yeah. for inviting us tonight. Yes. And yeah, and thank you guys for sticking around and talking with us.